In connection with our text for this morning, please open Holy Scripture with me to Genesis chapter 3. Now, as you will have seen in your liturgy sheet, we are beginning a new sermon series for the season of Lent, the season leading up to Good Friday and Easter Sunday. We will see how right from the beginning to the very end, it has always been a lamb. God has always provided a lamb. Let's read Genesis chapter 3, the beginning of sin in the world. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me She gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock, and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. 
Now our text for this morning is Genesis chapter 22. Please turn there with me. Now we've moved ahead now 20 generations from Adam and Eve, and we've come to Abraham, to the man of faith. Now not too long ago, we looked together at Genesis chapter 17, when Abraham received the covenant of circumcision, pointing ahead, of course, to the sign and seal of the new covenant, that is baptism. We've come to a transition point now in Abraham's life. Isaac, the son of the promise, has been born. Hagar and Ishmael, they have left the family, and it's just Abraham, Sarah, and Isaac now. And then God comes to Abraham and says something unthinkable. Let's read Genesis 22. We'll read the first 14 verses. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there, and laid the wood in order, and bound Isaac his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord came to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Now, as you may have noticed, it is a candy question service once again. Well, the candy question this month is the following. How do we see connections to Jesus in Genesis 22? We get into this in some detail in point three, so be listening closely. After the service, children of all ages can find me in the foyer with an answer and get a candy. How do we see connections to Jesus in Genesis 22? And please be specific here. Be specific in the connection. Now after the sermon, we'll sing our Amen song of hymn 27, the stanzas 1, 2, 5, and 8. May God bless the preaching of his word. Beloved in Christ our Lord, when we come to scripture, 
when we take the Bible in our hands, when we begin to examine it, there's just so much. It can feel so overwhelming to us. Where do I start? Where do I start when I want to start reading the Bible? Do I start in, in Genesis, with the very beginning, and read it through in order? Well, that's one way to do it. But that means that Jesus Christ, the fullest picture of the love of God, our Savior, the person of the gospel, he comes in 78% of the way through. Or, maybe you want to start with the New Testament then, starting with the gospel according to Matthew. Jesus is right there then, starting with the Christ. But Matthew is all about fulfillment of prophecy. What do these genealogies mean? Who is David? Why, why is he in the center of the genealogy? Who is this voice crying in the wilderness? A virgin birth? What's that about? Emmanuel? This feels a lot like starting a book 78% of the way through. You've missed so much. Now, you, you could start with Mark. Mark is simple. It's short. It, it asks and answers our questions. Who is Jesus? We saw that over the summer together. But another way to do it is to see a through line. To find a theme that, that, that's present throughout Scripture and trace its development. Now that through line, it, it could be covenant, it could be kingship, or it could be a lamb. A lamb? One of you might ask, how is a lamb a through line through Scripture? Oh, beloved, as we will see in our Lenten sermon series together, the role of the lamb is key. It is key to understanding our relationship with God. We're starting this new series called The Lambs of God. And you might wonder if that's a typo, that S there, lambs, plural. Because there's only one lamb, right? Only one lamb of God. Well, yes and no. There is one ultimate lamb. There's one lamb who this all is pointing to, one lamb who is prophesied, one lamb who came, one lamb who will endure through eternity yet to come. But all throughout Scripture, there have been various, multiple lambs of God. Right from the beginning, right to the end, right into eternity, we will see the lambs of God. And we will see this week the lamb of substitution. We'll see God's unthinkable call, Abraham's unwavering faith, and finally the unmistakable foreshadowing. The lambs of God, the lamb of substitution, God's unthinkable call. Right from the beginning, it was a lamb. But, one of you will say, we're entering into the story, not 78% of the way through, but 22 chapters past the beginning. We are 20 generations past the beginning. Ah, yes. But did you notice the lamb in Genesis 3? Did you notice the lamb in Genesis 3? If you didn't, Turn there with me. Turn back with me to Genesis 3. Just a couple pages back. Genesis 3, that's on page 3, conveniently enough, of your Bible in the pew. Pew Bible. Page 3. So, in our text, we're, we're 20 generations past the beginning, but our reading, it puts us right there. Everything is created. Adam and Eve, they're beginning to settle into the garden, and boom, there's a lamp. We may miss it, but it is there. So Genesis 3.21, 
After the fall into sin, after the fallout from that, the curses that are announced, what do we read? A seemingly inconsequential line. Genesis 3.21 And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. So garments of skins. These are animal skins. You see, when Adam and Eve, when they sinned, what they did was they clothed themselves in fig leaves in order to hide. They tried to cover themselves, but it didn't work. They were still guilty, and they were still seen by God. And so what God does here is he properly covers them. He covers them physically and spiritually. They were no longer exposed, and their sins were covered. And note that well, their sins were covered. Their sins weren't truly atoned for. Because as we can read in the book of Hebrews, the blood of bulls and goats, and we can add lambs, the blood of bulls and goats and lambs can never take away sins. They can't cover them, though. And so the animal skins came in because of sin. The first sin brought the first death into the world. But how horrible this would have been. Just imagine this. Genesis 2, it speaks of Adam naming the animals. These animals, at this time, they're tame. They're just like a pet. The animals come to him, and he named them. And now this creature is dead. This is the cost of your sin. His death was promised. And Adam and Eve, they received instant spiritual death. They were removed from the garden. They received the horrifying promise of eternal death away from God if they didn't repent and believe. And the process of physical death, it, it started in their bodies. It was that day that they began to age. And this process it was pictured by a dead animal. Now, a, a lamb? It doesn't say lamb. That's true. It's, it's, it's absolutely true. The text itself, it doesn't say lamb. But ancient Jewish tradition has it as a lamb. This has always been understood by the people of God as a lamb. One lamb for each person. One lamb for Adam's sin. One lamb for Eve's sin. Lamb is not mentioned by name here, though most scholars agree that it was a lamb. But now, we go to where it is unmistakably a lamb. We, we have that wording there. That's our text. Genesis 22. So let's return there. Page 16 of your pew Bibles. Genesis 22. You've now zoomed forwards 20 generations to the story of Abraham, the man of faith, the man through whom God would make the nation of Israel. Let's begin at, at verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Wow, that escalated really quickly. See, after these things, after what things exactly? After what happened in Genesis 21, just briefly we'll, we'll go through that. In Genesis 21, we see four major events happen in, in Abraham's life. First of all, we see Isaac. We see the son of the promise, promised to Abraham and Sarah in their old age. Abraham was 90, Sarah was... Abraham was 100, Sarah was 90, and this child was born. A miracle baby. Then Ishmael, Abraham's first child that he had with his servant Hagar. Well, Hagar and Ishmael, they were sent away into the wilderness. 
and they left the family. Then there was the dispute with Abimelech, a ruler in the land, and that dispute was solved. But lastly, perhaps most importantly, we read in verses 33 and 34 of Genesis 21, Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. So along with the pain of the oldest son leaving the family, along with the difficulty of, of the dispute, Abraham went into a period of rest. God provided the blessing of rest for Abraham, for Sarah, and for Isaac. They sojourned many days. And these days, they turned into years. And now in Genesis 22, Isaac has grown. Whether he's a child or a youth or a young man, it's, it's not clear. But years have passed. And now this. After these things, after these things, God tested Abraham. And what a testing process it was. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham... And he said, here I am. So different from Adam and Eve when, when God came and they hid from him. They hid, but Abraham said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. This is unthinkable. So many of us know this story well. And so it's lost some of its power for us. But what must Abraham have been thinking? This, my son, my son whom I love, my son whom you gave to me, O Lord. The miracle son, the son of the promise. It is unthinkable that God would ask this of Abraham. Now for us, when we read it, we know that it's a test. We know that this is a test because it says so right in the text. But Abraham knows no such thing. Why? Why, oh God, why would you change my name to father of a multitude when my eldest son has left and the only son that I now have left is about to die? Did I do something to offend? Have, have I blasphemed against you? Have I sinned against you? Do I need to offer my son in payment of my sin? And with what we know, knowing the end of the story, seeing it written right there in the text, we know that this was a test. And for the older ones among us, or just for those who are perhaps partial to the King James translation, we might remember this verse as, and it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham. But there's a big difference here. There's a big difference between temptation and testing. And we would do well to note this. Because testing is about proving value. Testing is about proving quality, proving the worth of something. We read that when we read the law, right? After the law is given, Moses says to the people, God is doing this to test you. He's doing this to test you. You test gold in the furnace. You refine silver in the crucible. Attempting, on the other hand... Tempting is trying to make someone fall. Tempting is pushing and poking and prodding, saying, do it, just do it, just give in. And simply put, Satan tempts, God tests. 
We can read in James chapter 1, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So the devil, he tempts to bring out the worst, but God tests in order to bring out the best. And Abraham, even though there's no way that he felt like this, Abraham was ready. He was ready for this test. It is as the old Jewish proverb goes, God sends burdens, but he also sends shoulders. How true this is, beloved. God allows so much difficulty in our lives. Sometimes we wish that he didn't judge us as ready to handle this. We wish that he didn't trust us with so much. But we're not alone in our struggle. God also sends shoulders for the burden. And that phrase, after these things, in verse 1, it's, it, it's not just there to show that Genesis is happening chronologically, that chapter 22 comes after chapter 21, but it's there to show the shoulders that God provided for Abraham. God strengthened Abraham through the difficulty of losing Ishmael, through the difficulty of the dispute with Abimelech, and then by giving him rest. He got to dwell for years, for years in peace under the tree that he planted, worshiping God, calling upon the name of the Lord with his wife, and together Abraham and Sarah raising their miracle baby. And now Abraham is ready. He is ready for this unthinkable test. And how does he respond, this this man of faith, this father of, of Israel? Well, he responds in unwavering faith. That's our second point. Verse 3, so Abraham rose early in the morning. So casually is this described. God called Abraham to to do this unthinkable thing, and Abraham just rose up early in the morning. We never read here of Abraham's emotional reaction to this, but it would be wrong then, beloved, to assume that he had no emotional reaction. Even though he was a man of faith, he was a man after all. He was human. Of course, Abraham wrestled with this. Of course, he wrestled mightily, calling out to God in prayer, making sure that he didn't mishear God's instruction. But the message was clear, and Abraham obeyed. But we'll see hints. We'll see clues as we continue on in the story as to how Abraham can do this. We see hints and clues as to what exactly is going on in Abraham's mind. So let's continue. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. And now we may wonder, why this place? Why travel for so long? Is it just that Abraham had plenty of time to tap out? to further test, to further refine his faith? Well, that may be part of it, but there's more. And it's glorious. But we're getting ahead of ourselves here. Back to the story, verse 5. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come back to you. And did you catch it? It's not quite so obvious here in the ESV, so hear it again in the NIV. 
He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. What does Abraham say? We will worship and we will come back to you. But Abraham, the worship that God has demanded, this worship will leave the boy dead. Isaac's not coming back from that mountain. Now an easy fix here, an easy out, is that Abraham was just lying here. We know that Abraham isn't above this kind of thing. Those who know the story of Abraham, they know that he's lied twice before. Scripture records two instances of Abraham lying, twice and both about a family member. He lied twice about his wife, saying that she was his sister. Well, maybe he's lying again here. Maybe. Maybe he's lying so as not to cause the men to panic. We will worship and then I will come back to you. What? Why just you? What's going to happen on that mountain? The men might think that Abraham had gone senile in his old age. Maybe Isaac would have panicked and run away. Maybe. But we don't have to impugn Abraham's honor like this. Because Genesis 22, it doesn't label this as a lie. And Hebrews 11... Well, Hebrews 11 defends Abraham against this kind of slander. So turn with me there. Hebrews 11. That's page 1008 of your pew Bible. Hebrews 11. Now, Hebrews 11, as the pre-confession class will tell you, we talked about this this past week, is the by faith chapter. The hall of fame of faith. And Abraham, as, as the man of faith, he's spoken of extensively. But it's in verse 17 that we see this particular story explained to us. We get a peek into Abraham's mind and his heart. So Hebrews 11, verse 17. That's where we're reading right now. Page 1008 of your pew Bible. 11, verse 17. By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac... And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it, it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So, why did Abraham say, we will come back to you? Because he believed that God would provide. He believed that God would provide. We see it in Genesis 22. We'll get there shortly. That he says the Lord will provide the lamb. We know in Hebrews 11 that one of the options of how God will provide is perhaps he would have to go through it and then God would raise Isaac from the dead. But Abraham, he was not speaking lies here when he said we will come back. He was speaking the language instead of faith. God has promised I don't understand how this is going to work, but I know that it will work. And why? Because of the growing of his faith over the years. From that first moment when he encountered God, all the way back in Ur, when God called him out of his father's house, out of his father's idolatry, to a place that God would show him. And his faith faltered, and he lied, not just once, but even twice, about his wife giving her to Pharaoh, then giving her to Abimelech to save his own skin, God provided. Pharaoh and Abimelech, they were made aware of the deception, and both Abraham and Sarah were protected. When he took matters into his own hands, and he slept with Hagar to have a child, and royally messed things up, 
God provided. Sarah conceived and gave birth at 90 years old. And God provided him rest for years, sitting under his own tree, watching the sun rise and set with his wife and his son. Years of peace and prosperity. God provided. So Abraham had a choice. He had a choice here. Believe that God was fickle and that he can't be trusted, that God promises a son and he gives a son, and then now on a whim he says, kill him, kill him now. Or that God is faithful and that God can be trusted. God was testing Abraham's faith. Remember, that testing, like the testing of gold, that strengthening, that purifying, God was testing Abraham's faith. He wasn't testing Abraham's mental abilities. Not Abraham's ability to understand, but his ability to obey. Do you trust me, Abraham? Do you trust me? Just like a father stands at the bottom of the stairs and says to his child, jump, jump, I've got you, I'll catch you. So will you jump, Abraham? Not because you know the physics, not because you've calculated the mass times the acceleration and you've come up then with the force at which you will then collide into your dad, and because then you've determined that his strength is greater than the force and therefore it's safe. Children don't do that. Children have never thought to do that. You do that because you know your dad. You know his love. You know his hands. If he says that he will catch you, then he will. And Abraham, he trusted in his heavenly father. Back to Genesis 22. Genesis 22, verse 6. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. Those words get caught in his throat. This, my son, my child, who I love, he trusts me so much. Can I do this? Isaac said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Isaac's eyes are wide with fear. Abraham's hands, they tremble as he picks up the knife. But he steadies himself for what he has been told to do. Then Abraham, and Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. This is it. No turning back now. What will the servants think? How, how would he face Sarah without Isaac by his side? How could he tell her that this child that she had longed for for so many years, who, had, who she had received as a miracle, was dead and dead at his own hands? But on the other side, how, how could he face God again if he didn't do this? How could he ever pray again if he rebelled like this? It's dark. It's bad. It's terrible. Pause. Pause and look up. Who is God? Pause and look back. Who has God been to me? 
I don't understand, but, but I will trust. Faith seeking understanding. The faith comes first. Then Abraham. And Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But, thank the Lord for this word. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. Exactly like before. Abraham was still Abraham. God was still God. Here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God seeing as you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Now just briefly, it's tempting to ignore it, it's, it's tempting to pass over it, but we shouldn't do that with difficult verses. What does it mean when it is said here, now I know that you fear God? Did God learn something here? Well, no, beloved. God knows everything from the beginning to the end. This was a testing, this was a strengthening of Abraham's faith in God, not of God's faith in Abraham. So think of it instead like this. God knows everything. The end from the beginning. God is outside of time, but he still works within time. And so we can understand this not as God learning something new, but as God seeing the event unfold before him. The event that he always knew. He always knew, but now he saw. Now he saw what he had before just knew. Continuing on, verse 13. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. It's a ram. For those of you who don't know, a ram is simply a male lamb. A lamb in substitution for the son. And this, beloved, is points forwards. Because it's not just a lamb in Genesis 22. It is a lamb from the beginning to the end. It is unmistakable foreshadowing that we read here. That's our final point. Here is where we see how Genesis 22 points to Jesus Christ. Now, it's always been a lamb, beloved. It is always a lamb. From Adam and Eve to Isaac, it is one lamb for one person. Then at Passover, it's one lamb for a family. And on the Day of Atonement, one lamb is offered for a nation. Then John the Baptist, he declares, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then there is a lamb on the throne of the universe, ruling for all eternity. It's always a lamb. And here too, here too it is a lamb, already from the beginning pointing ahead to Jesus Christ, the ultimate lamb of God. And our Lord, he is prefigured, he is seen by both the Son and the Lamb. It is both, and it's glorious. First of all, the Son. There are so many similarities between Isaac and Jesus Christ. So many similarities. They were both miracle babies. Their birth is scientifically impossible. Sarah was 90. It's pretty hard to conceive at 40, but this happened for Sarah at 90. And men, yes, men can have children far longer, but Abraham was 100. That just doesn't happen. Hebrews 11 speaks to this as well. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age 
since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants. A woman with a barren body and a man with a body as good as dead, from these two, a child is born. And as for Jesus, Mary was a virgin. Even more impossible. There's only one way that babies are made and that hadn't happened. And yet, Jesus was born. They're both called the only son. We shouldn't pass over this. God refers to Isaac as Abraham's only son. Hebrews, in some translations, uses the words only begotten son. But hold up. Ishmael exists. Yes, he had left the family, but he is still a child of Abraham. He's still alive. Isaac isn't God's only son. Isaac isn't Abraham's only son. But he is the only son of the promise. He is the only son through whom the blessings will come. He is the only legitimate son. And he points ahead to Jesus Christ, the only begotten son of the Father. It gets, it gets more here. There's more here. Both Isaac and Jesus carried the wooden method of their execution. Did you notice that? Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. They took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. And there's one more connection here between Isaac and Jesus, a connection that I just learned of this week. A powerful and meaningful and beautiful connection. In verse 2 of our text, verse 2 of our text, we read, He, and that is God, said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. And the connection, beloved, is in that little word, love. Because Genesis 2, verse 20, 22, verse 2, is the very first time that the word love is used in the Bible. It's the very first time that this word is used. This word. That is the summary of the law, this word that is the summary of the gospel, this word that is the motivation of God, the driving impulse of our Heavenly Father. The very first time that this word is used in all of Scripture is for the love, is about the love of a father for his son who is about to give him as a sacrificial offering. The first time it's used in all of Scripture is for the love of a father who is about to give his son as a sacrificial offering. Very clearly, God is using Isaac to point forwards to Jesus Christ. But the connection is also there in the Lamb. The Lamb is provided. The Lamb is provided miraculously and mysteriously. Because surely, surely Abraham, he would have looked around the execution site at the top of the mountain. He would have memorized the scene looking for any sign of what God was going to do. Would God provide a substitutionary lamb? Would, would he raise Isaac from the dead? Would he heal him from death, reversing that awful process? See, there wasn't a lamb. Then, as an answer to the silent prayers that Abraham had been praying for the last three days, like a miracle, a lamb appeared there in the bushes. A lamb was provided in the place of his son. There's a trade going on here, the life of a lamb for the life of a person. The lamb received what was supposed to happen to Isaac. A lamb took his place. We see Jesus Christ, 
taking our place. And one more. Where did all of this happen? Where did all of this happen, beloved? Well, on a hill far away. And you might know the song. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. And this particular hill, Mount Moriah, trace it just briefly with me as we close. Genesis 22 in our text, the place where the lamb was offered instead of the sun. In 1 Chronicles 21, it was on Mount Moriah, the very same place, on the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite, that David built an altar to the Lord, for it was there that the destructive plague had stopped, for God had mercy on Jerusalem. In 2 Chronicles 3, it was on Mount Moriah, around that same altar of David, that Solomon built the temple, the place where the lambs would be sacrificed every year for the sins of the people. And then, if you trace it one step further, fast forward a thousand years or so, the temple had been rebuilt on that same spot on Mount Moriah, but what you might not know is that Mount Moriah is not a single mountain, it's actually a mountain range. It's not just one mountain. You travel 700 meters from the temple along that same mountain range, and you get to the highest point of the range of the mountains of Moriah, and you get to a peak known as Golgotha, the place of the skull, the place where the Lamb of God was crucified, in your place and in my place. Because as much as Isaac points to Jesus Christ, and it is amazing and it is glorious, he points forwards also to me and to you. On the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. It was provided for Isaac. His life was spared. There was a lamb in substitution. And it was for me and it was for you. Our lives were spared. There was the lamb of God in substitution. On that mountaintop, 4,000 years ago, heaven marveled that a man named Abraham could love God so much. And on the next peak over, 2,000 years ago, heaven marveled that God could love mankind so much. And so, beloved, cling to the Lamb. Love that Lamb with your whole heart, with your whole mind, with your whole strength, because He died your death. He died in your place. On the mountain of the Lord, it was provided. Amen.